right, and welcome back to the Cinema Talk Movie Journal with our now top 10 films of 2021. Once again, here we are in May doing that, but that's okay. Uh, fifth annual top 20 of the year. Uh, go back and listen to part one for our 20 through 11 picks. Which is say we're recording in May. Who knows yeah, if we're we've released in May. in May. That's true. Uh, I'm going to do my best to edit this and get this out in May, but we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Matthew. And I'm Logan. Just in case you didn't listen to the uh, the first part, and I guess again, in case you did listen to the first part, we should run down our twenty through eleven picks, and then we can get into our top ten. Yes, going from twenty to eleven, I had at number twenty West Side Story, then Shiva Baby, Fear Street, sixteen sixty six, Army of Thieves, Pig, The Last Duel, The Harder They Fall, Come From Away, The Beatles, Get Back, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yep. Also going from twenty to eleven, I had The Night House. Test Pattern, The Green Knight, Summer of Soul, Zeros and Ones, Pig, Drive My Car, St. Maud, Nightmare Alley, and The Velvet Underground. In my 20 to 11 is Belfast, The Lost Daughter, The Card Counter, Mass, The Tragedy of Macbeth, The Killing of Two Lovers, The Green Knight, Shiva Baby, Nightmare Alley, and Red Rocket. So, Logan... Do you want to get us started with your number 10? I suppose it's up to me. Um, this film I'm about to talk about is, I think, the earliest on this list. Um, it was so early, in fact, that it was part of the last Oscar cycle. It is Florian Zeller's The Father. Um, technically... I, I th- thought this was going to be your number, like, two or three. Me too. Um in my review when I watched it, again, more than a year ago, I seemed pretty sure that it could become a five-star movie on rewatch. I, this is absolutely a casualty of a long time frame. I should have rewatched it and reassessed it. Um, I think just over time, it, it naturally, like all movies do, lost a little bit of its hold on me. Um, so I, this is definitely one that I, if I rewatched it, I could see jumping up to a, yeah, like you said, a top five position. Um, I, I still enjoy it a lot, though. I mean, it's it's my number 10. Still fully endorse it. Um, I think it's, it's very, very well written. I think it's probably an excellent play. Um, and, and they use the film medium to add something to it. It's not just a, it's not just a filmed play on a movie set. It's, they, they do more with it, and I think it's it's creative in that way. <clears throat> Anthony Hopkins is fantastic. It's a varied performance, I would say, but always maintains a layer on top of everything of uncertainty. Um, they play a lot with distrust in your own mind, in your own perceptions, which is a very frightening notion to me. Um, I, I am terrified since seeing this movie. I'm terrified of... Um, things just changing you know having a logical explanation in in the real world but not in your mind and you know to your mind they've just things have changed and and are just are just different um and you don't understand what's going on and i'm even more afraid of that happening if i'm not aware that it's happening and i think that everything's normal i just i think this is um it's a very I, i now that i'm talking about it I do feel like I should have put it higher. Um, but that's where the list is at. 
if I rewatch it and reconsider, you know, it'll be on my letterbox. Um, again, go to the Cinema Talk Podcast letterbox page, and you'll find links to all our accounts um, and lots more. But you know, that's these things happen. I watched it a while ago. Um, I really, really do love it, though. Um, very happy for the wins it got. I think Anthony Hopkins, yes, Anthony Hopkins, famously won Best Actor, um, and I believe it. Got some others that I'm blanking on. Adapted screenplay. Yeah, right. Um, which it, I think it absolutely deserved. So I think The Father is very good. Um, slowly sort of fell in the rankings throughout the year, but nevertheless, still very, very much love this film. Great. Yeah. Okay, so moving into my top ten. My number ten is easily the scariest movie I think I saw all of 2021. It is The Humans. Also a deeply under-talked about movie, I think. This Should is... have been an honorable mention for me. I yeah. like that movie a lot. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to pop up on your list. Um, this is directed by Stephen Karam, who also wrote the play that this is uh, adapted from. Um, and uh, it, it follows uh, a family reunion in Manhattan. Um, and... Uh, I, I thought that this made such uh, an amazing use out of sound and space. The apartment in which they all meet for Thanksgiving is uh, in a pre-war duplex, and it's a sort of crumbling and uh, dilapidated building. And there's lots of horror that comes out of just silent stretches of the film and also uh, just physically empty spaces in the film. Uh, and I, I thought that it was able to do it uh, solely just based on the cinematography and the great actors in this film. Uh, you got Richard Jenkins in here, you know, another great performance from this year. Stephen Yoon, Benny Fieldstein, and then uh, Amy Schumer, actually really good in this movie. Amy Schumer, not someone I'm always the biggest fan of in films, but uh, actually gave out a great dramatic performance in this movie. Uh, more than anything, this movie just made me terrified. Like Logan was saying about The Father, this movie made me terrified to grow older. Uh, not to grow, you know, uh, older in terms of dementia, but just to just to age, you know, just to move out of the house and become an adult. You know, I, I actually never want to do that now that after watching this film. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of things you could read into this movie as like a, you know, post 9-11 text and, and, and whatnot, but as its own and, and uh, as it tackles family dynamics and, and, and uh, the horror of growing older and growing apart from the people that you grew up with, I, I think it's incredibly effective. And the last five minutes of this film, oh, I was on the, I was absolutely terrified. Once again, uh, just the space in which they are uh, closer together is so claustrophobic and the camera never leaves it save for the first two minutes of the film. Uh, it's very eerie, very, very ambiguous, and I would love to see it on stage one day. So yeah, The Humans, I believe it's on Hulu, so go check that out. I, I thought this seemed interesting. I liked the cast. I, um... I've had it on my watch list for a long time. Um, I did not realize that it was a a, a scary one. It's That's terrifying to hear. Yeah, All right. it's not anything like it's just it's not like a slasher, scary. but sort of yeah. more. Yeah. It's it's just eerie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, I'm in. Yeah, very good film. Um, so my number ten, I think, I think is gonna be the only time this is mentioned. Um. I know for sure it's not on Matt's list, so um, I think I will introduce it with um, a clip. 
Thomas? You seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. After all these years, to be going back to where it all started. Back to the Matrix. So there you hear the resurrection of the Matrix. Uh, Matrix Resurrections is my number 10 film of the year. I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, Lana Wachowski returns to the franchise um, along with most of the original cast, plus Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Neil Patrick Harris. And um, I think that this is one of the smartest blockbusters of the last five years, for sure. I think probably my favorite blockbuster since Last Jedi probably um which i know matt also hates (laughs) um which makes sense uh yeah this this film is completely about um what the hollywood system does to art and to uh artists how they get trapped into these things is like either you can do this basically i mean lana wachowski this happened to lana wachowski with warner brothers and she wrote it into the movie you can either do this yourself or we're going to give it to somebody else and they're going to take your baby from you, basically. And I think what she does with this movie is meta and fascinating on that commentary level. But then also, I think it's a really good Matrix movie. I think it's the best Matrix movie since The Matrix. Um, definitely the best of the sequels. Um, not even a question. No, absolutely. Honestly, up there with the original for me, um, which I know Matt is shaking his head. I'm losing um, my mind, but sorry, continue. <laughs> um, but no, I love the performances. I think Keanu Reeves is great in this movie. Um, I love Neil Patrick Harris, Carrie Ann Moss, um, still bringing it, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, I think was a really good uh, Morpheus. Um, and then Jonathan Groff. Our hometown boy. Really, our hometown True. boy, Jonathan Groff. Uh, very, very good as Smith. Um, and I love the way that they play with the different roles of the characters from the original um the original trilogy and how some characters are certain ways and then there's twists on what you would expect um but yeah and i think the ending of this movie is fantastic the in the end this is a a meta film but also this is this is basically a romance movie like to to its core this is a romance movie between neo and trinity and i think that central core relationship and that dynamic is what carries the film and is honestly what gives it the satisfying conclusion um, to the meta stuff in the beginning and the good action stuff in the middle. So The Matrix Resurrections, um, I think, is a film that got overlooked a lot by a lot of people because it was divisive. Um, didn't really get any buzz, I think, on people's best of the years list. Um, but yeah, The Matrix Resurrections, one of the best blockbusters of the last 10 years and uh, absolutely my favorite Matrix sequel. So... That is my number 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you talked about that. It, like, just barely didn't make my list. It would be, like, low 20s. Um, would have been an honorable mention for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. It's, it's very inventive in the way that it examines the Matrix's legacy. And I especially like that very, very little is explained for 
a, for a lot of the first bit of the movie. Um, in the a whole, way, like, first that, act. Yeah. 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 In a way that, um, you know, nearly, I feel like I have to keep having the caveat of nearly matches um, the, you know, tension and confusion, um, disorientation of the original Matrix. Um, yeah, definitely better. I, I have a working theory on this one that if you liked the two direct sequels, you will hate The Matrix Resurrections, and if you hated the direct sequels, you will like The Matrix Resurrections. Um, I think that it's uh, that's it's kind of held up in, in conversations I've had with people. Um, I actually would disagree with that, because I like uh, the second one and was mid on the third one. Oh. I love this one. All right. Well, I think the third one was very bad, um, and I'm really, really happy that uh, Lana got to come back and do do a do-over. I love the Wachowskis. love them so much. and follow them anywhere. Um, yeah, very glad you brought that up so we could talk about it. Um, and next up, I will be talking about another film you've said already. Floyd, your number 20, Belfast. Um, had a great time with this. I really was doubting Kenneth Branagh coming in. Um all I'd seen from him is uh, Thor and Thor 2, both of which not good. <laughs> he did not do Thor 2. No? Mm-mm. No, that was Alan Taylor. Oh, all right. Well, still, Thor, So all you saw was good. Thor. So maybe all I've seen is Thor. No. Uh, yeah. Potentially. Um, and I know oh. his Agatha Christie movies are not well-received very much, Um so I was really I wasn't sure this was gonna be it, um, but it 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 blew me away. It the the shot composition I think was what what really pulled me in. There's some amazing shots. Um, one specifically I'm thinking of. He a lot of the time he sort of just sets the camera in one place and just lets things happen, which I I love. I love that technique. Um, there's a scene in particular that I'm thinking about where the parents are talking about some pretty heavy shit in the background. And kids are asleep, just out of focus in the foreground. Uh, and the whole thing happens, and then it shifts the focus to the kids. And I think that it's just a beautiful moment. Um, a lot of the filmmaking captures a sort of childlike wonder. Also a childlike fear, in a sense. Um, and I think, I think Ryan, you're, you're right that it, it approaches the historical events in... Um, in a way that makes you feel like you're you're going through it with Buddy. Um, it's almost better without sort of a lot of knowledge because that's how it is when you're a kid. You know, you catch snippets of things going on in the news. You might have a vague sense, but things just kind of happen. Um, and adults make decisions that sometimes seem really strange. Um, and yeah, I I also I love that it buys into buddies you know seemingly childish uh wants needs fears it just it's sort of it it validates them um in a very sweet way the actor the child actor jude hill fantastic i have a hard time with child actors a lot of the time as these guys know um but i really love this performance um kieran hines and judy dench as a couple they seem supernatural they've got a very sweet relationship um and they're their dialogue, I, I found, I, I love, I just, I love the grandfather character, the relationship between the grandfather and Buddy. Um, just really great. Oh, I, I cried. Yes, yes. Cried very much. Um, it's a, it's a lovely film. Um, 
and I had a great time with it. Very well made. Um, it's rare that I think there's this much heart in something that's also this technically well-crafted. So, uh, yeah, happy to say Belfast is my number nine. Happy that it got, um, you know, a fair amount of nominations and uh, got is, is sort of getting the love it deserves. I agree with Logan. I also have a hard time with child actors. But I think we can all agree that Woody Norman from my number nine pick, Come On, Come On, was an amazing choice for the this Mike This is my Mills, number eight film. This Mike is my Mills. number eight film. Yeah, this is the one that is shared across all our top tens. Uh, an amazing uh, Mike Mills movie. I've talked about 20th Century Women before, maybe on the Best of the Decade podcast. Love that movie. Was thrilled to see this uh, in theaters. And Walking Phoenix, you know, again, just given a great, uh, a different performance from what we've seen from him in, in years past. I'm glad that he is willing to step away and, and not not get pigeonholed into, like, the, the psychopath Joker roles. And I'm glad that he was down to play an uncle, a radio journalist who develops this amazing kinship with his nephew over the course of this film. Um and uh, I, I was just, I was, I was blown away, you know, by just the, the simpleness uh, and uh, the straightforward emotion of this film. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I love, honestly, how it incorporates, and he does this in 20th Century Woman as well, how he incorporates nonfiction texts into his films is so unique and not something that I would ever think of to incorporate into this movie. I think this movie works totally well um, you know, without those, and speaking of the sort of like sequences where he's uh, interviewing children, or uh, certain certain books are are read across the screen. I think the the film works without that, you know. But I think it it, it adds a layer of like universality to the emotions when you're seeing um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix interview kids um, throughout the film who have experiences that you know everyone can relate to, and you see reflected in the Jesse story. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about this other than it made me cry. And by the end of it, you know, I, I, I felt like all my emotions have been laid out on the table and that there was some sort of catharsis reached where, you know, in, in the way that, in the way that Jesse te- teaches Johnny uh, what, what raw emotion looks like and Johnny teaches Jesse how to channel that productively. Um, I thought that was a really, really beautiful thing. So big fan of this movie. Yeah, I cannot agree more. I love this movie. Um, it's uh the 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 sound design really incredible um the i love like the the ambient noise when he's sort of walking around with the microphone you've got some great stuff um yeah joaquin being normal um really really nice his his relationships um portrayed very well between him and his uh, his sister uh gabby hoffman's viv and yeah another great child actor woody norman fantastic um it is it is a very thinky movie. Um, characters are frequently just sort of thinking. They're listening to something and, and pondering it. Or they're talking through something out loud by themselves. Or they're just sort of silently thinking about things that have happened, conversations they've had. Um, and it just, you get so much time to, to sit with these, uh, with these emotions, these lovely characters. Um, and uh, I, I would say this is potentially the the namesake scene is potentially the best uh namesake as out of out of these uh this past year it's it's a it's a great scene um 
yeah, I, I I don't have very much more to say about it. Yeah, like like we already said, this is my number eight. Um, I this is another film I watched very recently. Um, it is it is the warmest and sweetest film in my top ten, or in my top twenty for that matter, probably. Mm. The relationship between Joaquin Phoenix's Johnny and Woody Norman's Jesse, I mean, it's clearly the heart of the film, but it's also kind of like the relationship that I feel like I am taking away from, like, the, the relationship that I take away the most from this list. It is so, like you said, it's strange to see Joaquin Phoenix play such a light, normal, loving character, even though he doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, even though Johnny doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, there are so many moments in this film that just feel honest and true. Like, even more than The Lost Daughter, I feel like this really gets across with um, Viv's character and Johnny as well, like, how hard it is to be a parent. I feel like in The Lost Daughter, it's always played as horror, and here I think it's more of just, like, like this is just a lot of work and it's tiring and you love the kid but also sometimes they can get on your nerves so i think it's a little more of a well-rounded um portrayal of parenthood than um lost daughter which isn't to, you know not to take anything away from lost daughter i obviously love that movie it's in my top 20 but this feels like it's a more encompassing um of all the emotions of being a parent i would again i would assume because i am not a parent um but yeah both of these lead performances are great um and yeah, it, it's a very emotionally impactful film. Love the black and white cinematography. Love the way they use the cities of, um, I believe, New York, San Francisco, and or no, New York, L.A., and New Orleans, yeah. um, and Detroit as well. Um, yeah, great film, and it's my number eight. Um, so I guess that also wraps right. Nine? Yeah, jumps back to my number nine, um, which I actually had a huge debate on whether or not I would put my number uh, nine at. Uh, above come on come on or not so i guess right next to each other can basically be a tie um and it's uh raisuke hamaguchi's drive my car uh i i absolutely love this film um the smile that went across my face when the title sequence played 45 minutes into the movie i was like fuck yeah oh yeah um i was like we have been here for almost an hour and he's like this is the start yep um uh yeah no you're right uh matt when you talked about it in part one this this movie felt like a journey, not only because it was three hours, but because of the emotional distance that uh, the main character goes on, uh, played by Hidetoshi uh, Nishijama, I believe is how you pronounce that, at least somewhat close. Uh, Yasuke's character goes on a, a massive amount of emotional distance in this film. Um, the first 45 minutes, like you said, almost works as its own short Um in terms of the, like, because people talk about this movie, they're like, oh, this guy's wife dies, and then, you know, he puts on the thing with Uncle Vanya and um, and the driver character. But really, there's a there's almost a whole hour of this film that is before that. And I think that there's a lot of um, raw emotional honesty in terms of stories that you tell yourself, things that you can put up with that... Um, the main character tries to justify in his mind um but then that all of those things can get thrown out the window all those little things that you think are important can get thrown out the window when somebody you care about then when that person is sick or like it's, it's just about how quickly 
those things that you think are important or think are slights can can be shown that they are not that important and then you can have the specific time that you need um but then the whole last two hours is is just um an amazing amazing portrayal of grief and the grief process um that it was really effective and like you said that last the last like 15 20 minutes of this movie where it all comes ahead for both of these characters um is is amazing and i i have another film in my top 10 that's particularly about grief as well um and i think it was a really strong year for the for for films with that theme and uh yeah this this film really got to me um I think the only reason I haven't rewatched it yet probably is the length, but I would really, really like to. I saw this in a theater as well, Matt. Um, but yeah, now that it's on HBO Max, I really, really want to rewatch it. I'm very glad that it won um, the Oscar. And uh, yeah, I I would like to see more from this director. This is the only film of his that I have seen, um, but I would like to see more. So yes, Raisuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car is my number nine. Yeah, again, really regret I couldn't see that one. Um Normally it would be my number eight, but it's come on, come on. We already talked about that. So, Matt, I guess go ahead with yours. Yeah. My number eight um, is, a, is, a, is a film like um, like Drive My Car that also looks at, um, you know, the creative process and how we are informed by adaptation and informed by other artists. Uh, it is Mia Hansen's Love's Bergman Island. Um I think the plot synopsis of this movie really throws a lot of people off and might be why a lot of people are uh, afraid to approach it. Uh, it basically follows a couple uh, played by the just, oh, so good, Vicky Creeps and um, Tim Roth, um, who, who travel to uh, the island on which Imar Bergman wrote a lot of his screenplays and which he was inspired you know, to write a lot of his films. And I think from that logline, uh, it sounds kind of pretentious and sounds like this is going to be like like more of like a film school class than uh than a than a really enjoyable movie but uh, i encourage people to really check this film out because um even if you have no experience with bergman i mean i have very limited experience with, with bergman films you're not gonna you're not gonna be left in the dust by this movie um i think this is so much about the relationship between uh uh, these two characters and, and you watch both of them go on two kind of creative journeys on this film uh tim roth plays a, a filmmaker who's traveling to this island um to show one of his films at a festival and uh, vicky crepes his partner um is a writer who's struggling with a book or a, a screenplay that she's coming up with and as the film progresses um each of them kind of go on their own journeys wandering about the island this beautiful imagery uh before uh the film uh, kind of starts to blur into a bit of uh, fact and fiction start to blur and we enter into the creative lives that these people are are exploring and we enter into the stories that they are creating and uh, I think it's a really uh, interesting look at the relationship between these two people um, that is not, uh, you know, an inherently toxic relationship or one that is uh, particularly overwhelming with joy. You're, I just feel like it was a lovely naturalistic look at two people who know each other very well, but, um, but who, but in some ways have maybe fallen out of love. And I, I, I think, I think it was. Uh, important to approach that from the lens of the stories that they are creating and uh the actor from worst person in the world makes an appearance in this film um anders daniel um uh, anders and anders danielson lee um two great performances this year 
Um, and I really enjoy what they do with that. And there's an amazing uh, sequence with an ABBA song um, <laughs> where Mia Wasowska dances to it. And it's just extremely joyful and, and beautiful. So I, you know, I'll watch anything with Vicky Creeps or Tim Roth. So I, I was, I was very excited to see this, but yeah, please, please check it out. Um, if anything, just for a look at how, you know, how you can create something to stay true to yourself while also adoring an artist that you love and, and being in love with, with, with a partner who lives with you. So definitely check it out. Yes, and my number eight was Come On, Come On. So, Logan, you're number seven. Right. Okay. As we established before in part one, I am a dumb American. Uh, however, I've got uh, a film from Iran this time. It is Oscar Ferrati's A Hero. And I gotta be very clear. I struggled a lot with whether to include this on the list at all. Um... Because it has, news has surfaced, and I believe that this case is still making its way through uh, Iranian courts, but it surfaced that this idea for the movie was uh, potentially, com- uh, uh, what am I trying to say? This, this, this idea might have been plagiarized from one of Ferrati's students, um, so I still want to include it in the list, but I, I want to be clear that, uh, and I apologize for the pronunciation, Azadeh Mazizadeh deserves more credit for this movie, um, which she has not been given yet. Um, so we'll see. As of recording, I don't believe that case has been concluded, but I want to say, I feel like that's important if we're going to, if I'm going to talk about this. Um, aside from that, though, this is a film that it 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 sort of lured me in with a with an interesting sort of foreign premise. Um, the main character uh, Rahim, who's played by Amir Jadidi, um, he is in a debtor's prison. Um, essentially, that's exactly what it sounds like. He owes somebody money, and they have locked him up until the until he can pay it. Um, it's sort of a foreign concept. Um, to U.S. audiences, but in a roundabout way, it is. It seems appropriate. I think poverty in the U.S. does act as a prison of sorts at times. Um, we have a lot of really broken systems that uh, that keep people from from breaking out of poverty. Um, and uh, you know, Rahim, the main character, d- despite the title being a hero, he is the ultimate everyman. Um, he is very, he's, he's, um, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. He's not charismatic in a really, you know, uh, uh, animated, really like, you know, wild out there kind of way. Um, but he's, he's wonderful to watch. He's, you know, often sort of shy or nervous or, um, just not quite sure what to do in a situation. And so to watch him navigate everything that comes with, um, you know, being labeled a hero, um, with what eventually happens, all the baggage that comes with that, um, just this, you know, this ordinary man trying to, trying to figure things out, it is gripping. Um, some very engaging, uh, personal dynamics here, and just, um, I, I really respect, I really respect the filmmaking, there's some great, 
some great shots. Uh, the last shot, uh, one of the most gutting of the year. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what else to say about it. Um, very affecting film. The original uh, writer should get more credit for this, but I thought strictly based on filmmaking merit, a hero by Oscar Ferrati deserves to be uh, on this list. As my number seven. All right. Well, moving into my number seven, uh, another great horror film from this year. Uh, this is Ben Wheatley's In the Earth, which I know neither of you guys have watched, but oh God, I implore you to. Uh, Floyd, I know it has a bit of a troubled history with Ben Wheatley because he directed, I think, that, that terrible Rebecca uh, remake. I don't know why that happened, but he did. <laughs> Nonetheless, this is an astounding movie. Another great pandemic film. I believe it was conceived, written, and directed all during the pandemic and kind of deals with it in a direct way. Um, it uh, The main character is a scientist played by Joel Fry. Uh, it was just becoming uh, one of my favorite actors. Um, he was also in Cruella, which I actually quite enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but uh, he plays this kind of mild-mannered, sort of awkward scientist in this film who travels into the forest um, looking for just a checking up on a, on equipment that a, another scientific team is running out there. And as they enter deep into the forest, uh, and he is accompanied by Laura Torshia, uh, who is in Midsummer, who is great in Midsummer. I love her in this movie too. Uh, they find that the scientific team that was in the forest may not be there anymore in the same capacity, and that there are some 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 members of that team who have taken control and gone a little rogue, gone a little Kurtz on some of the members. Um, I thought this was beautifully, beautifully shot with some gorgeous forest imagery and, uh, 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 uh dialed up the horror in, in, in really terrifying physical ways. Um, uh, I, I think just, he just has a, a, a great eye for shooting like a, a, a chase scene, you know, shooting someone running away from someone, someone, uh, trying to escape from, uh, uh, from very precarious circumstances. They're, they're, a lot of moments in this film where it turns towards more psychedelic and a, a bit more trippy towards the end. Uh, and, and it's handled really well because the score is, um, I guess, let me back up. Uh, a component of this film is uh, sort of like sound waves and, and electronic music, in a sense, because what the scientists are hoping to accomplish uh, is, is accomplished through sending out these sort of signals through the forest. Uh, and, and they incorporate that into the film in, in such a great way. Uh, and and disorienting way um that i don't think a lot of movies have done very well uh i think it tapers off a bit towards the conclusion but uh overall i was so blown away by the craft and i was just so happy to see such an original take on a horror film and something that was truly deeply horrifying and like a lot of horror movies looks at that intersection or that divide between mysticism spirituality and hard science and you've got kind of these two opposing forces represented by the joel fry character and then the Haley Squires character in this film. And you see both of those kind of go head to head and how both of those, their beliefs are, 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 are uh, tempered and, and reconciled and ultimately come to a very bloody confrontation. So I definitely encourage everybody to check out this movie, In the Earth, um, fantastic. Yeah, I love Joel Fry in uh, Our Flag Means Death, which sounds like a very different uh, story than this one. But, uh, yeah, I think I will also use a clip to introduce my number seven film. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. 
impersonating a federal officer or you can go home the black badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror I will learn all that I can. I will these ain't no terrorists you can murder a liberator but you can't murder liberation you can murder a revolutionary but you can't murder a revolution So yes, like Logan's number 10, this is a film from the 2020 uh, cycle of Oscar movies, but uh, it is one that I'm counting in 2021 because it came out in 2021, uh, and that is Judas and the Black Messiah, um, directed by Shaka King, um, produced by Ryan Coogler. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, Kaluuya definitely deserved his Oscar for it. Lakeith Stanfield deserved that nomination. Jesse Plemons was fantastic. Um, yeah, this, this movie follows Fred Hampton. Uh, played by Kaluuya, who was the uh, deputy chairman of the Black Panthers uh, in the 60s, and um, ultimately what leads to his assassination uh, late in the film, which isn't a spoiler if you know history. Um, uh, and the title, I think, pretty much gives it away, too. Um, so yes, the Judas character, uh, Bill O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield, is also a tragic character, I feel. Um he is yes a spy basically in the black panthers but also i feel like you get to see him as a person i think a lot more than uh than you would expect in this film uh this is a, again a film i haven't seen in over a year at this point um i would have loved to rewatch it and the reason why i left it at number seven is what you guys said at the beginning of the first part was that i did not want recency bias to push this out of my top 10 um because i haven't seen it in over a year but i uh, I love what Shaka King does with the cinematography in this film. There's there are moments in car chases and shootouts that are very very well photographed, and especially at the very beginning when um, Bill O'Neill is like running from the police. Um, there is a ton of good um, tension between Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya when they are starting. When when you know Lakeith Stanfield knows that he's a rat. But Kaluuya's starting to, you know, maybe think that, and he has to, you know, the, their dynamic changes over the course of the film, and then also, you know, Bill starts to question his his place in it, and still ultimately follows through with some things, though. So, uh, I really recommend Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, if you haven't seen it, if it slipped by your radar, it was nominated for Best Picture uh, last year. So go check it out on HBO Max if you have not seen Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay, moving on to my number six. 
I am sure this will be appearing on one of your lists, but I don't I don't think both. We'll see. Um, it is Jane Campion's acclaimed work, The Power of the Dog. Um, this is, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, um, the harder they fall. That was my 14, 14, um, as a bit of a subversion of kind of ideas of the American West and the power of the dog also does that, um, really takes a look at the baggage of the wild West specifically pertaining to toxic masculinity. Um, the setting of the film in Montana in 1925 is so smart. It's just, it's on the tail end of what you would consider kind of the Wild West cowboy era. And Benedict Cumberbatch, in an amazing performance as Phil Burbank, is a man who lives on the cusp between eras and will not accept it. Um, and his brother, played by Jesse Plemons, um, is a perfect foil. Um, sort of this... He's a, he's a sophisticated modern man, um, uh, you know, as sophisticated as, as you could be in 1925. Probably wasn't bathing all that much, but uh, more than his brother, certainly. Um, Jesse Plemons finally getting the supporting actor nom he deserved for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, same with uh, Jesse Buckley. Him for, and Jesse Buckley, yeah. yeah it was kind of nice that the, the Academy was like, ah, oh, shit, we screwed these really good actors. Let's give them something this year. Um, Cody Smith McPhee, Kirsten Dunst, also really great in this film. Um, I just, I, I love the examination. It's, it's, it's heavily a character study of Phil Burbank. Um, Johnny Greenwood gives an excellent score. I love it so much. Um, it's off-putting in the right ways, beautiful in, in, uh, in often strange and, and confusing senses. Um, I, I, I love his work, um, in Phantom Thread, I still haven't seen, but I, I, I love the score. Um, very good composer. I'm glad he's in film now. Um, and Jane Campion's directing, just amazing. I'm, I'm very happy for her to have won director. Um, this, as the front runner for Best Picture, um, I, for, you know, a while, I was, I, I would have been, I would have been happy with this. Um, so I, I, I really enjoy The Power of the Dog, um, saying a lot of really important stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's why it's my number six. All right. Moving into my number six. My guy. My guy, Wes. My guy, Wes Anderson, came with some heat this year. He came with the French Dispatch, which I think is truly one of his best movies. 
it is not surprising at all that Wes Anderson has made a movie centered around uh, old school journalism and old school newspapers. I think that is an environment that uh, uh, he's shown an affinity and a love for in small ways in other movies. I mean, I'm thinking of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox is a is a newspaper columnist in that film, and there are always little nods to to that kind of world. So I, I was very happy that he chose to dive into it. Um, it, it is somewhat esoteric at parts, um, and it's definitely a film that you gotta... If you want to pick up on all the details, you should probably turn those subtitles on and pay close attention, but I thought it was extremely rewarding. And, you know, I, the debate with Wes Anderson is always that it's it's too whimsical, it's it's too elaborately staged, it's so pristine and miniature and ornate that there's no life in it, there's nothing to to take in, to breathe in. I couldn't agree less with the majority of his movies, and certainly not with this one. Um, I think that there's so much... Uh, grace and 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 beauty to be found in the conclusions of the the I guess the four the three main stories and then I think there's the one small Owen Wilson one in the beginning. Um, the characters in Wes Anderson movies are usually um, pretty forthright with their with their emotions or with their with their anger is often comically staged and redemption is also is usually some sort of, of piece of their arc. And I, I was so touched by the ways that the characters in these movies um, are are able to reach those reach those points of reconciliation or or, or small moments of understanding be, between characters and the way that it's shown through this this beautiful lens of great writing. Um, and I think he definitely has a love for. I think he's definitely he's painting a very idyllic portrait of a newsroom in which Bill Murray as the editor is is, is just handing off these assignments uh to his to his writers and letting them do what what they want with the stories um and, and i was so touched especially by the last story in this film by the jeffrey wright uh prison chef story um in which jeffrey wright kind of plays a a, a, a loose version of, of james baldwin um and I, I, I just, I am in love with S. Anderson, and I, I think that this is probably visually his most stunning film. I was blown away by what he was able to accomplish here. Um, and I'll, I'm, I'll always, I'll always return to this guy. And uh, I think even though it's, it's, it's very entrenched in this time period, it's very entrenched in the specifics of, uh, of newspaper and, and reporting, uh, I, I, think, I think it's teeming with life absolutely beautiful so i love this movie made me made me weep yeah i also i really enjoyed that film um it's there are there are pieces of it that i think are are brilliant his filmmaking you know really really great uh yeah not his visuals are not are not bland at all i don't know um i'm not sure you could watch the movie and come away thinking that uh yeah very very vibrant very um creative and and i found myself at times thinking about the individual stories um after finishing the movie um something about it it didn't all like exactly come together for me but um i i do think that many many elements of this are excellent yeah i i like the french dispatch as well it is not on my list but uh do enjoy the film so my number six uh, is a film that Logan already brought up, and I think Matt hasn't seen. It is Ridley Scott's *The Last Duel*. Um, I absolutely love this film. So, um, <clears throat> starting off, I want to address the criticisms 
that I saw on Twitter and lobbed about, like, before people even saw the movie, which was very frustrating, that it was like, oh, I cannot believe that this movie was co-written by uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, obviously also written by Nicole Hosner. Um, I feel like it just got immediately dismissed as like, oh, why are these men making this film? This movie, written by all three of these people, was written in a way that basically Matt Damon wrote one part, Ben Affleck wrote another part of the two lead men characters, and then Nicole Holofcener wrote, I, I'm pretty sure, the main chunk of what is shown to be exactly what Ridley Scott puts in the title card, The Truth. Um, so I think that people, first of all, are, are don't, when they're looking at that, I feel like they're not looking actually at how the project was created and um, and the intention behind the film. I feel like they didn't see it, maybe even. Um but wait, also, even if they did collaborate on, on if if they all did collaborate on the whole thing, what the fuck does it matter? Yeah. See the movie. If it's good, then it works. Yeah, I, I don't know. It was There was a whole stink when the movie was coming out that people were saying, like, why is Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck the one making it? But very well-written script. Those two specifically are fantastic in the movie. Um, I love both of them, but the MVP of this movie is definitely Jodie Comer. She is so fucking good in this movie and adam driver is as well i mean adam driver he can play any type of role you give him he is such a good sleazeball in this movie um this gross piece of shit but also like you look at a movie like patterson where he plays like the softest character ever like adam driver i think is one of our best working actors um if not in the top two or three um without a doubt yeah he he his range is just incredible um and like I said, he is so menacing and scary in this film, but also in the section that's from his perspective, very charismatic, um, very smooth, uh, schmoozing and, you know, warming up to Pierre, who is played by Ben Affleck, um, who let's talk about Ben Affleck in this movie. He looks like he is having a hell of a time. He is just he is just being this is the kind of role that Ben Affleck should be taking more often, where he is just playing into the fact that everyone thinks he's the sleazeball and he's just doing all these nefarious things and he's just got a smile on his face because he's rich and he can do whatever the fuck he wants um but then when it comes down to the actual story i i do think the weakest probably of the main cast is probably matt damon um not that he's bad but i just think because the others are so good you know what i'm saying like nothing against matt damon in this movie but just because the others are like oh my god um and yeah, like you said, there is an awesome fight scene early in the film by a river that is just like, holy shit, Ridley Scott so fucking knows how to shoot action scenes. Um, which isn't any surprise to me because I loved Alien Covenant and Prometheus. Um, I'm like the only person on the planet probably that would say Prometheus is their favorite film from that year. Um, but um, yeah, so Ridley Scott still hits balls out of the park for me, uh, except for House of Gucci. did not like that movie. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, the the final duel at the end um, is great. And what I think is, is, you know, the best part of this movie is that this is a film that takes place in the late 1300s, I believe. It is fully about 2021. It is about 2021 and it is about the film industry almost specifically in 2021. Um, and I think that is very smart. It is very similar, I think, to Matrix Res- Resurrections in that it is both works completely in its own right and also works as a meta commentary at the exact same time. So I think all the acting is fantastic. I cannot believe that this didn't even get a production design 
or a costume design nomination. Like this movie is gorgeous. Um, and it's, it's disappointing because this and also a film that just came out recently, the Northman were these medieval epics that are given big budgets and didn't really do a lot of the box office. I mean, the Northman did a lot more than this movie. This movie tanked. Um, and I hope that these budgets don't go away because they are already so, there are so few films that get these mid budget, um, budgets anymore that are going towards films that you can see it on the screen you can see the money on the screen so much more than i'm sure secrets of dumbledore looking like 200 million bucks um so i i really hope that these movies not doing great at the box office we don't lose the very few of them that we have left so uh please 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 if you have not seen this film go on hbo max support it watch it go on amazon rent it um, because people need to see this movie for movies like this to exist. Um, so I absolutely love The Last Duel. It was in my top five until this morning. So, um, yeah, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel is my number six. Yes, totally agree. Love it. That was my number 15. Um, and you can go back and listen to that for my thoughts on it. Okay, we are, we're cracking the top five. This is fucking exciting. Um... As I mentioned at the top of the last episode, I am a big musical theater person, um, which is why I am so happy that Tick, Tick, Boom is getting my number five slot. This was highly anticipated by me, except I thought there's no way that this could be good. I thought the odds are stacked against it. Andrew Garfield, not a singer. Lin-Manuel Miranda, not a director. Vanessa Hudgens hasn't been doing all that much. It's not... Princess Switch movies on Netflix. Right. It's not Larson's most successful musical. Um, Although now, given, you know, how much exposure I've had to it, I do think I prefer it over Rent. But it, it was sort of a hard thing to get excited about. And I'm happy to say I was wrong in all of those respects. The performance is amazing. Andrew Garfield, having the year of his life, Spider-Man uh, is great in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Spoilers. Whatever. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's going to be six months away from the time it comes out. If, if we had done this on December 31st, <laughs> then it would have been sure. a spoiler. Um, the eyes of Tammy Faye, you know, close honorable mention, I'd say. Um, he's fantastic in that. And he's he's awesome in this. He's He is such a good singer. I don't know how he did what he did in a year. Um, he, he literally had like a year to prepare for this. Um but Lynn approached him and was like, can you sing? And he said, yeah, give me a bit to learn, but yeah. Um, and just sort of started from scratch. And I, I respect the hell out of that. He gives an amazing performance. Um, and it's not, it's not just, he's a good singer, but his acting is, is absolutely on point. And I think as an actor going to singing actor, as opposed to a singer going to, singing actor he he has a way of especially i'm thinking about the song why towards the end of the film he's at a piano in a park outdoors on a stage beautiful setting beautiful performance and he knows he knows how to milk the emotional beats of the song and and act them he is not just singing here he is performing every goddamn song um and he, I would have loved to see him win Best Actor, um, especially 
Ugh. Anyway, um, he he's he's amazing. The rest of the cast really phenomenal too. Um, I like the way that the uh, the the stage structure was sort of chopped up. the the, the stage The stage show is three people. It's three actors. Um, and so I'm glad that they sort of expanded that to to make um, you know to give, give a few more people parts. Um, and I think it it doesn't do it in a way that loses any of the the magic of the three person stage show. Um, there's some great visuals, um, great visual storytelling going on. Uh, I I think my only I I got a couple you know little editing complaints. Again, it, that's like dwarfed by the the emotionality of of the film the the ways in which it succeeds are so so greatly overpowered you know sometimes you watch a movie and you're like yeah that was i didn't really see any issues in that but then the highs are also not that high this is one where there are maybe more issues than most films but the highs are so high that i'm just i'm i'm on board as a film i'm i'm so on board with it my my biggest complaint they should have kept green green dress in the movie. It is a great song. They kind of did. No, I know. Not in any way that. A mattered. little bit. Nah, it, that was worth. I I would have preferred not having it at all than having the the thing we got. Uh, it's a great song. It's a lot of fun. It establishes the relationship. They choreographed and shot this, and it has since been released separately. Uh, it's an awesome scene. It works great. They have great chemistry there. Um, there's no reason to cut it, but uh, I digress. Hopefully, it'll be in the it'll be in the the the, the Blu-ray. Um, it's still a fantastic adaptation. Jonathan Larson's genius will live on forever. Um, this is a wonderful tribute to him. Film about um, about the creative process, about what it means to be an artist, um, what it just means to to be to be alive, to have you know, fears and wants and needs. Um, it's really just beautiful film in that way. Um, I suspect it might come up later, so I'll leave it at that. But number five is Tick, Tick, Boom. Nice. All right. Getting into my top five. Um, a film that I was truly shocked was not talked about more. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. It's Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move. Um, Good film. The 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 tagline for this film is trust is a setup, and that could not be truer than in this film where characters double, triple, and quadruple cross each other throughout the entirety of the film. Once you think the plot is going one way, it shifts and goes another way. Once you think one character has secured his hands on the money, another character swoops in and steals it. There are layers of power in this film, and there are levels of control that extends so far and I love how the film plays with that and it's continually fun the cast in this film is just heavy hitters Don Cheadle Benicio Del Toro David Harbour John Hamm Brendan Fraser Julia Fox Kieran Culkin Amy Simons Noah Jupe I mean you got it's insanity special shout out to David Harbour who I think is just absolutely incredible in everything he does um and, and it's a rollicking good time um it's quippy it's smart it's funny uh, but at the same time i think there's like an, an actual pretty interesting thing going on in the film with the different levels of power that he explores which is that these kind of cycles just never stop 
in a system, in a capitalist system, because it's set up this way to work this way. And, and I think it's it's a really it's a really sharp analysis in a film that is just very enjoyable to watch. And although it's very uh, very intricate and has a lot of plot details to follow, uh, I think it makes it even more interesting. I was I was I was never I was never lost or disoriented in a way that took me out. I was always so, so gripped by the story. Uh, it, it's shot in this, you know, beautiful widescreen kind of old-fashioned VistaVision fashion, you know, where the edges of the screen are kind of warped. He does very interesting things with the camera here. I always love how Soderbergh in this late part of his career is all about experimentation, right? You know, I'm gonna film a movie on an iPhone. Uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna film one with like a limited budget that I do on this special kind of release format to test it out. And this is a, a sort of homage to those 1950s heist films and, and crime films, but with a with a really great modern take on it. I, I really hope more people watch this movie. Um, I'm down for anything that just has like a, a bunch of people just kind of quipping as they're like stealing money. <laughs> like that got to be one of my favorite genres of movies right there. Uh, so definitely check this out. It's it's a hell of a good time. Do crime, make jokes. Exactly. Steal, great quip. genre. Uh, yeah, I really like No Sudden Move. I didn't uh, even really consider it for my top 20. I didn't realize that you liked it so much. Um, so yeah, uh, really great film, and I'm looking forward to seeing Kimmy, uh, his his now, again, latest film. This dude just makes movies like most out. of us go to the bathroom. Um, um, so my number five is uh, a film that already came up, uh, but it's one that I absolutely love. And I actually, this is the film that I moved up into my top five today. And that is uh, Michael Sarnassi's Pig. Uh, this movie. The second one that all three hits. of our lists had, I believe. Yes. Um, this movie really, really hit me when I saw it and it has continued to stick with me. I think the main reason why I put it in my top five is I think I watched this movie in August or September and I haven't seen it since and it still is growing in my estimation. And I think that that's a sign that I really like this film. Um, this film stars Nicolas Cage, uh, again, as a truffle hunting um kind of hermit nomad just living out in the woods with his pig and um like john wick uh suddenly in the middle of the night people come in and take his animal and beat the shit out of him except he is not a trained assassin he is just uh well i'll leave out i guess what he is um what he was before he went into the woods some guy and yeah basically some guy and you know, I think what's so impressive about this film is really Sarnowski and Cage, because there's a lot of trust by Sarnowski in his directorial debut giving this role to somebody like Nicolas Cage. Because Nicolas Cage, who is who is a great actor, is known for his huge, over-the-top, what do you call it, nouveau Chavian acting style. This exaggerated acting style, which, I mean, uh, a film that maybe be on my top 20 next year, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, uh, I love that movie, um, really gets into that and plays off of that. But here, he is so quiet, and every motion and word and movement is so calculated and is so tuned into this character that I think that Cage probably would have been my pick for best actor this year. Um, he is he is fantastic in this film, and I think this film has the scene of the year for me. 
where him and Alex Wolf go into a restaurant in Portland, and Nicolas Cage's character just shreds this guy's life to the point where he just starts, like, crying and drinking the wine on the table, and it is just... I, I think that would, have been, that would have been the scene that would have played at the Oscars if he had gotten nominated. Like, he is just so good. Sarnowski knows exactly how to leave the camera on him. But in the end, like I said about Drive My Car, this is a film about grief. This is a film about losing not like grief not only over another living thing or a person but grief for a different time of your life that has gone and i think that it by the end of the film and it's not just grief with nicholas cage's character it's with multiple characters in the film how art and connection to other people and other things can not only help you overcome that grief, but really change it from something that is a burden and something that is negative in your life to something that you are holding with you that makes you who you are. And I think that is what is so powerful about the last scene in this film or the, the climax of this film, where it seems like, again, this film could be going to a John Wick revenge-style ending, and Sarnowski's like, I'm not going to give that to you because I don't think that that is the healthiest way to answer this. And in the end, the forgiveness and acceptance that Nicolas Cage's character gets to, and also the other two characters involved in that scene, which I won't spoil, is very powerful. And again, I haven't seen this movie in six or seven months, probably. Or more. Almost nearing a year, I would bet. Um, and it is still still impacting me that way and still making me think about how I react to to grief and how I react to things changing in my life so I think that for that reason Pig maybe even should have been higher on my list so yes Michael Sarnowski's Pig starring Nicolas Cage my number five okay great yes so so far we have all had come on come on and we have all had Pig lovely um we'll have one more crossover I'm sure I know me and Matt all three of us will okay yes we will we will have one more okay crossover. all right good um well switching gears um certainly switching tonal gears uh got a film that was sitting pretty comfortably at number two on my list for a really long time and i shuffled things up last minute um simply because there were things that i wanted to put ahead of this that is not to say anything bad about this movie um, I absolutely love it, and so, it turns out, did the Academy. It is Best Picture winner, CODA. Uh, this is not a popular film on this podcast. It is a popular film, uh, elsewhere. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a beautiful story, beautifully told. Um, it's a music, you know, related film, so... I'm, I'm kind of inclined to appreciate it, um, especially its uh, its amazing portrayal of the very awkward world of high school choir. Um, I think it, it taps into something that, that lots of people have experienced. Um, it's just very strange. Um, it it finds a... A weird place to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it finds comedy in, in, in those things. And there's a portrayal of... Um, a sort of awkward first romance. Um, and 
I think similar to some other things we've talked about, Belfast um, and Come On, Come On, the, the, the films that deal with childhood, it, um, I think, you know, we, we see this budding romance and we realize, like, this is a high school relationship. It's not going to last. They don't have that much in common. But I think we're able to see it through the lens of how important it is to the character. I think that's very important for a film about growing up. Um, what I see as its greatest strength, it, which is going to sound dumb because there's no way to there's no way to quantify this. There's there's no um, there's no award for it. Is just a shit ton of love poured onto the screen. Every character super multidimensional. They've got their point of views. They've got their flaws. Um, their conversations, I think because of that, are very dynamic and complex. And they love each other, and I love them for it. Um, it I, I, I just, I came away from this film so connected to everybody, um, to everybody in it. Um, you know, there's no, there's no Oscar for most loving family, but, you know, this would, uh, this, this would be up there. Um, it's just, and, and, and it's explanation, um, or exploration, rather, of the complexities that come with being a child of deaf adults, which is what CODA stands for. Um, and, you know, to, to love music as much as our main character Ruby does. Um, it, you know, I thought I went into it and I thought, huh, this is an interesting premise. And then it, 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 I think delivered on what that premise can be, um, really satisfying way. Uh, it's, it's a film about families learning to, understand each other um learning to um le learning to 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 appreciate each other's um differences i think uh and ultimately to give the family members that you love the freedom to do what they want to do even if you can't understand it even if you physically cannot appreciate um what your family member is doing as is the case with with ruby's family there's still just so much love and support that comes from them uh and they are fully you know behind their behind their daughter and her goals and ambitions despite not being able to hear what she does um there's great there you know there's minutes at a time where a word is not physically spoken and the way that the actors sell the sign language is unlike anything. The, the, these actors, especially um, Troy Kotzer, who won Best Supporting Actor, phenomenal. These actors do more with ASL than most actors do with their voices. And that is just an incredible accomplishment. Even when... You know, you're you're sitting there as a as a hearing viewer of the of the film, and it doesn't. It's not. It like it. It just. It didn't bother me when when three or four scenes in a row would go by and no one no one spoke because it's just. It's so engaging to watch, and I love that about it. Um, I never thought that it was. It had a prayer to win Best Picture. Um, I I'm extremely happy for it. I've been rooting for it since it was just this little 
indie film coming hot out of Sundance. Um, I'm just so delighted that it's reached as many people as it has, um, present company excluded, uh, in, in the way that it has. I think it's, um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's my number four. I really expected when I first saw this, it was like, okay, boom, this is my number two. This is, um, so, you know, with how much I love it, it just, it just goes to show how truly excited I am for, uh, my, my top three, but yeah, Coda, I, I, Floyd, I know, I know your issues, you know, my stance. I want to get into the whole thing potentially on another podcast. I don't want to really drag this one down because we could, yeah, I don't want to do that. We right could now, go in circles. We, can, can later. we could go in circles for hours on this. Um, I think, I think potentially on its own episode. Um, but I am, I am, I'm very, very thankful for this movie. Um, I've been listening to the music a lot ever since I saw it. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful film. Loving, lovely. Coda is my number four. Yeah, I think we don't need to get into it now. Yes. And I'm staying positive. But all I will say is I think my grade on Letterboxd might be very generous. All right. Brutal. Whatever. Well, I'm going to move into my number four of the year. A film that uh, Floyd talked about before. And a film that could have easily been my number one uh, had it been a different year with other with other films. It is Paul Schrader's Card Counter. The Card Counter, uh, a film that uh, uh, unsurprisingly blew me away. You know, in 2018, First Reformed was my number one of the year. And Floyd mentioned this, but this employs a very common Schrader trope, which he refers to as a man alone in a room or a man sitting alone at a table. Uh, you know, started in Taxi Driver with Travis Bickle, continued with Willem Dafoe in Light Sleeper in the 90s, same with Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, and now Oscar Isaac takes up the helm in the card counter as a, a war veteran, an ex-military interrogator turned professional gambler. Uh, Isaac, with incredible intensity in his role, piercing eyes, restrained but incredibly heavy hitting um i i was so surprised where this film took me the journey of this movie i think is very unconventional and in a year where i just felt like everything was so bland and was so same same i was just shook to my core by this it just strikingly original deeply unique take um on on trauma and on and on war there are flashback moments in this film where we see Oscar Isaac's time as a military interrogator, serving under the command of, once again, Willem Dafoe, with a great performance in this film. Weirdo. Another oh, weirdo. Absolute weirdo. As just a, a very a very psychotic uh, military commander named Gordo. It's shot with this, this, this massive wide lens that warps at the edges and kind of distorts everything and just blaring, blaring rock music, just a cacophony playing over top. One of my deepest regrets, not seeing this movie in the theater. Oh God, that would have been cool. Um, but uh, the journey that Oscar Isaac goes on where he meets Tiffany Haddish and he meets Ty Sheridan, who each play characters completely unlike him, characters who have life, who are expressive, 
um, who are not necessarily always motivated by the same sort of uh, revenge that he is. And the way that that opens up Oscar Isaac and the moments in which he he turns away from his journey, he turns away from his path. And the room that Schrader allows for redemption and allows for healing in this film completely broke me. And I think that the final shot of this film is one of the greatest final shots I've ever seen. And I don't know how he pulled off that sort of, that 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 tonal twist at the end, where after so much, after after some after a gruesome a violent conclusion in some senses, um, and in just very hard nosed, um, a, a flat but but very evocative performance from Oscar Isaac. He was able to make us turn and sympathize with this man who had done terrible things in his past. And I was I was blown away by that. I think Tiffany Haddish is incredible in this movie. Um, I mean, I she's been she she gets talked about for every performance that she does, but no one was talking about this. People need to talk about it because she was wonderful. Um, I I think he takes a really Schrader takes a really interesting and uh, approach to like a, a casino setting, in some ways similar I think to how Lynch treats it in The Return. Uh, he uses these kind of, uh, there are moments of levity in the film where there are certain stereotypical characters, you know, Oscar Isaac as a almost comically um, blunt uh, military man, you know, betting against stereotypical like brash Americans at a club. Um, and, and the comedy that is arise from that is, is, is uh, just, it, it splits the film in a, in a, uh, in a way that I thought was was deeply touching and deeply unique. Um, so I just encourage everyone to watch this. It's deeply disturbing, but I, I think I think it hits notes that I was not expecting. But it was all the notes that I think it should have. So Schrader, once again, just great film, and uh, you know, kind of a weird guy in real life. But uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen his Facebook page, Facebook page, you know, uh, he's got some interesting activity on there, but I'm really excited for, you know, many more man alone in a room movies. Yeah. Uh, like Matt said that made my top 20 at number 18. Very, very good film. The card counter. Uh, so number four for me, uh, is a film that I was both excited and nervous about for a while. Um, and couldn't have been happier with the product and that is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's... This might be a hot take. I think it's better than the original. Um, Ansel Elgort is the only reason this isn't in my top three. Um, I, I wouldn't say that he is terrible in the film, but he is by far the weak link. And I think Tony is a character that already has a lot of issues um it's, it's definitely the worst character in the show and then to put the worst performance in the worst character brings this film down a little bit and that's all i'll say about negatives because i don't think i have another negative for this film uh the performances by zegler moreno debose alvarez mike feist all top tier mike feist should have been supporting actor this year i don't know how he didn't even get fucking nominated ridiculous david alvarez as bernardo was amazing um and the, just the the fact that spielberg had never made a musical before and he made one of the great musicals i think shows you how talented steven spielberg is because the the camera work and the rich 
texture of the film. I think what he did, what what he did setting this film so specifically in this crumbling area that would become the Lincoln Center, um, really punctuates how much of a tragedy this is beyond the just the you know the death and the story of the film. It's like these teenagers and young 20 year olds are fighting over land that is not theirs they are not going to have this land in a year no matter who lives or dies this is going to become the lincoln center you know this is um a slum basically and and i really like how they have Corey stoll's lieutenant shrank say that they're like why are you idiots killing each other over this land this is not you, you are going to it's either going to be you moving out or it's going to be the wrecking ball moving you out and this is not going to be your land and then when you know the story of west side story and romeo and juliet when characters die it feels even more tragic um but yeah the music is fantastic uh one of the best shots um of the year is in maria with the uh, the puddle and the lights swirling around tony um absolutely gorgeous the floating camera at the beginning of the dance scene near the beginning is just breathtaking um i love what they did with cool i love what they did with somewhere uh obviously you know this is a a film and a story that a lot of people know and hold dear and it was it was nerve-wracking when he was i was like okay here we go you know we're making another west side um and you know casting rachel zegler who has never been in a film before she was amazing an amazing casting find as maria she was great um i love what they did with doc's Mm -hmm. character turning her uh turning him into rita moreno's character uh valentina and yeah like you said matt ariana debose was fantastic i i love her as anita i do think it's a little strange just looking at award season why she was the performance that was like oh she is a lock to win supporting actress and feist and alvarez and zegler weren't even really talked about getting oscar nominations like she is fantastic but i think all those i think they're all pretty much on the same level playing field and it's weird to me that it was specifically debose i don't know matt if you have any thoughts on that but i think it's just because of the tradition you know of rita moreno and uh, you know that being the, the hollywood tradition of she was the one who originally won the oscar we've got to give it to her again it's also uh, i think the loudest performance in the film that's true that is true um but yeah no top to bottom the musical numbers are great the adaptation is great uh the performances are out of this world and you know spielberg proves proves once again that he still got it because um I think, Logan, when you were talking about it, you were talking about uh, Spielberg, how he always brings it and is always something interesting to watch. I disagree with that. Ready Player One is shit. Um, But uh, (laughs) Spielberg proves here why he is one of the the great directors, and I cannot wait to see The Fablemans later this year, not only because of him, but also because David Lynch is in it. But yeah, so West Side Story, I absolutely love it. Could have been in my top three probably, but it is here at number four for me. Yes, again, my top 20 film. very happy you liked it so much. Okay. Moving into the top three. God, this is exciting. Uh, I have a film that I'm pretty sure you guys both have not seen. Um, and just nobody has talked about this. Nobody is talking about this movie. It is Benjamin Cleary's Swan Song. Um, strangely, there were two movies called swan song that came out this year 
One is about a rather flamboyant hairdresser in Ohio um, who walks across town to style a corpse's hair. This is not that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Swan Song focuses on Mahershala Ali um, and his wife, uh, played by Naomi Harris, um, and their, um, their, their quite young son. Um, Mahershala's character, named Cameron Turner, has the opportunity to um, create a clone of himself um, who will then, if everything goes according to plan, replace him. Um, you know, he's sick and he's dying, and if this procedure works, then the then the clone will simply take his place and his wife and son will never know. It feels like some other sci-fi premises. It feels like a Black Mirror concept. But I really feel that this is a very fresh take. If there's one thing I love, it's a film with interesting science fiction quandaries, questions of ethical use of technology. And, and then at some point, beneath all of that, the film reveals that it has a huge, warm, beating heart at its center. And this film does exactly that. I, I think there are there are emotional beats that you can only get to through those sci-fi premises. Um, and in this case, it's the question of what it means to give up everything for pe people you love who will never know that you have made a sacrifice. Um, I think that's such a beautiful concept. It's, it's unique within films that I've seen. Um, the last act um, is some of the most gorgeous stuff I've ever seen. I was sobbing through it through the whole last portion of the movie. Um, uh, just absolutely wrecked me. It is, it is a deeply emotional film and I think also a very smart film. Um, Jay Wadley's score, I think, is most likely the reason that it's been climbing up the list the way it has. I've been listening to that. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I think the main theme um, is very simplistic and um, it's just it's it's simple in some ways and it's very complex in other ways and I, I really appreciate it for that. Um, and then the last song in the credits that kind of like when I listen to it after having seen the movie it sort of it sort of clicked for me and I and then my my appreciation for the film just started to grow and grow again um it's the song sometimes it snows in April and which is originally a Prince song um rather a rather busy arrangement um a lot of sort of overlapping voices and synthy instruments this is vi this version is very stripped down it's covered on piano um beautiful female voice I think it's a lot nicer than the Prince version. Um, and it's, what I love about it is that it's, it's tonally consistent with the score itself. It's not just like, Hey, we made a, we made a movie and scored it. And then somebody else wrote a song like it. It feels like it fits. Um, and I think it's the perfect way to end the movie uh, and to, to end the album as well. Just sort of leaves you, Leaves you thinking, leaves your heart feeling, you know, very full. Um, 
and also you know there's a there's a, a touch of sadness um, you know about what what um, our beloved characters have have, have had to do um, but there's I think the, the Mahershala performance is incredible as I said before with Fear Street uh, multiple casting I'm a sucker for it and I think it's very well used here um, uh, 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 Aquafina is in this movie um, and I don't usually like her performances at all um, but she something about the way that her character is written it feels a lot more more down to earth and more um, I'm, I'm able to connect with it a little bit easier I think um, it's not quite as not quite as grating of a, as a performance um, and it just I think I, I'm, I'm not sure what else to say about this about this film I just I have a I have a lot of love for it. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite tones, one of my favorite vibes that I feel like I could just keep, keep coming back to, um, and that I would just love to to sit in again. Um, and I and I have no idea why. You know, it's gotten like middling reviews, and really nobody is talking about it. Um, but I think it's I think it's brilliant. Benjamin Cleary's Swan Song, starring Mahershal Ali. I think it's absolutely worth a watch. Um, and that is my number three of 2021. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. All right, my number three. It's the film that, that it was the first film that I saw in 2021 that like, it was the first great film I saw in 2021. Uh, and it's from M. Night Shyamalan, who I will defend to the death. It is old. It is the absolute horror masterpiece in which yes people go to a beach and they get old <laughs> um it's a very schlocky concept but like most of Shyamalan's films i think that he has filmmaking talent just beyond this world the same way that floyd talks about spielberg i i think people should talk about Shyamalan. uh i i think He's so uh, grossly underestimated, and because of some of the silly concepts and silly movies he has made, people forget the talent that this guy has behind the camera. Uh, no one moves the camera like Shyamalan. Uh, I really, I truly believe that. I think that what he does in this film uh, is is really unique and really invigorating. I just don't think anybody is making blockbusters or uh, maybe not necessarily blockbusters, but is making studio, uh, uh, you know action-driven films like Shyamalan. Um, and I think beyond, uh, you know, the overwrought dialogue that people always criticize and beyond the dialed-up performances in this film, I think there's a lot of beauty here. And uh, I think that it, it's, a, it's a gorgeous statement on, on uh, valuing the time that you have and the way that we draw on our innocence and we draw on our childhood to save us and to get us out of situations. Um, uh, once again, Vicky Creeps making an appearance on my list. Her and Gael Garcia Bernal in this film are just an absolutely amazing couple. One of my most touching moments of the year is these two um, on the beach reminiscing on their time together, slowly forgetting about the the grievances that they might have held to, against each other, realizing that it doesn't really matter in the end, and that the acceleration of time, this goofy concept has caused them to realize that. Beyond that, I think there's very effective scares. I think there's very effective tension here. I think the way that he plays around with everybody's different roles, their different societal roles in the beach is hilarious. 
you've got all the different stereotypical personalities who are responding to this conflict. You've got people who are micromanaging, people who are drawing away because they're too scared, and people who are trying to take charge. Uh, and I think that he's very, he plays with that very smartly. And I think that, of course, the conclusion of this film, I, that is the one thing I can't defend. It does get a little bit... Uh, uh, just a little bit ridiculous, and it. Uh, I, I wish I would have liked to see him wrap it up a different way. However, I think there's a lot of beauty uh, to be seen. That uh, you know, one of the last, one of the last things we see is two children making a sandcastle on a beach, and I think in a film that is all about aging and uh, are getting older, watching characters return to uh, this childhood impulse is what is what helps them at the end of this film. I think that's a lovely thing. Uh, and I'll, I, I, I've seen this movie like five times. I, <laughs> I, I will watch this movie to the day I die. It's lovely. It's great. Don't listen to the haters. Check it out. Yeah, I like old. I'm surprised that wasn't your number one. I thought that was going to be your number one. Um, but because I knew that you loved that movie so much. But uh, yeah, I like old. Old's a, a good film. Um, so my number three is... Something that I don't think either of you have seen, at least it's not logged on your letterboxd, and this is the film that is debatable whether or not it should be considered a film, but I am counting it, and it is Bo Burnham's Inside. Um, oh, yeah, this, that yeah, yeah. I saw it in a the theater, so I'm counting it. Um, this film and the music in it um, were a huge part of my year in 2021 i not to get too far into it i had probably i i had probably some of the worst mental health of my life in summer 2021 and i feel like this this got me through a lot helped me process a lot of emotion um yeah i think that this is the best thing to come out of the pandemic in terms of like a film made around the concept of the pandemic, you know, with those issues that we were all dealing with at that time. Um, I would like to, you know, point out a couple of songs that I think are the best songs, but looking at the, the list of songs right now, I'm, I would just probably end up reading that every single song. Um, but I love um, content. I think that's a great way to open it. I love uh, Look Who's Inside Again. I love 30, Don't Want to Know, All Time Low, of course, Welcome to the Internet. Um, All Eyes on Me is such an amazing, like, climax of this film. And it's so impressive that Burnham basically did this by himself. And, you know, there's some to be like, oh, how much of this was him playing a character of Bo Burnham and how much of this was actually you know, his experience during the pandemic. And I don't care. I, I don't care, like, how much of this is real. I know that he was living, that this was, like, the side house and that he was living with his girlfriend and his dog in his main house during the pandemic. I don't care. Or his wife, I think it might be his wife at this point. The character that he is playing and what the songs that he is singing and the emotions that he is hitting at were so true. Um, and I think that it's there's so much of it himself in this film like especially to the point on all eyes on me where he is talking about openly how depressed and anxious he was getting with performing and then he stopped and then he was finally like you know what i'm gonna get back at it and then this happened 
Um, I think Bo Burnham is one of our great artists right now. Um, he, I think Make Happy, um, is a brilliant, just like normal stand-up special. I think Eighth Grade is a fantastic film. I think he should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor last year in Promising Young Woman, and I think Bo Burnham Inside is probably the most profound piece of art that I can think of coming out of the pandemic and this, everything surrounding it. So the cinematography is amazing. I feel like I didn't even get to that yet. What he is able to accomplish in this one room and how different a lot of the songs feel in terms of location, even though it's just this white box that he's in, is amazing. Uh, white woman's Instagram, the way he was able to recreate a lot of um, pictures that you know people post on the internet, uh, was amazing. And yeah, the lighting is fantastic. E everything about this film, I love. I was so glad that I got to see in the theater. Um, and it, I think it tells you about how much I love my top two. That uh, this is my number three because this is a five star movie for me. Um, I think it's pretty much perfect. Um, yeah, so I love Bo Burnham inside my number three. Yes, I. Uh, people keep telling me I have to watch it. I know I have to watch it. I will. I will. But um, a bit like Drive My Car, I just I have not. I've not had the commitment or the the investment. I know it's just gonna wreck me, um, and I need to be in the right the right zone for that. Uh, okay, number two. God. Uh, I can't believe we're here already. Um, number two. I don't believe either of you have seen this. Um, I watched this two days ago. So, you know, again, maybe recency bias, but I, I truly believe it would have made its way here anyway. Um, I, I can't see it leaving me anytime soon. I think it's really going to stick with me in a very permanent way. The film is uh, Nitram, directed by uh, Justin Kurzel, who actually Floyd, you name-dropped earlier when talking about Macbeth. Um, Nitram is the name Martin Backwards, um, focuses on the story of Martin Bryant, um, the gunman um, from the Port Arthur Massacre. It's one of the biggest um, mass shootings in Australian history. Um, sparked a lot of you know, gun law talks, and actually, eventually, um, real um, policy changes. Um, and this is a, it's, it's, as you might be able to tell, not a fun movie. It is one of the most upsetting films I've ever seen. Um, it, it's a portrait, you know, sort of, sort of a bit like, um, a bit like, you know, Fire Walk With Me, um, following sort of the last days of Laura Palmer, or most, um, like, Easter films, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, things like that, following the last days of, of somebody. It's not, it's not uh, Martin's last days, but it's, it's sort of just the days leading up to what he does. Um, and knowing where it ends, I think, is kind of a necessary part of the film um and it's just it makes the whole thing so heartbreaking um it was it was huge in australia it swept um the acta awards which is basically their version of the oscars or the baftas um and i have not heard anybody in the states talking about it 
Um, it's just crazy to me. But it is such a it's such a gripping portrait of this man. Um, Caleb Landry Jones, performance of a lifetime. Uh, un- unbelievable. Um, it's so... He does so many things with... He's, it's, it's pathetic. It's off-putting. Um, very cold, yet emotionally expressive and very emotionally raw. Um, uh, he is, his performance is unreal. His mother, played by Judy Davis, um, is also a very impressive, very nuanced performance. Um, I think it's a, an acting challenge to portray as complicated of, of a character as, um, as Martin is, as Nit, Nitram is. Uh, but I think approaching playing his mother is almost just as, just as challenging. And she does an amazing job. Um, it, the film walks the fine, fine line, which, which I think not many directors or filmmakers would be able to do. It walks the line of being empathetic from a narrative perspective, but on a personal, on a moral level, just realizing that he is a, sick evil person who did sick evil things um it's uh it's it's very it's it's hard to watch at times it's it's hard to take um and yet i think it's it's so important and potentially one of the reasons the film affected me as much as it did um is the sound design brilliant sound design there's always you know there's a fly buzzing in the background there's a lawnmower you can hear a few houses over there's a car running outside it's it and and it always makes you feel like you're in it um which is you know and and again not a comfortable thing to be in um when we're talking about this man and and knowing what what he's about to do um the camera work also is fantastic really makes you makes you feel like we're you're in it um you're you know very close very close to the character a lot of the time. Um, and there are also, there are many very impactful tracking shots kind of around houses, through hallways, through doors, around walls. Um, feels very personal. Feels feels a little invasive in a sense, um, watching these people in, in their home with what they're, with what they're going through. Um, but the writing, the writing is top notch. Um, the uh, many characters, you know, not just the, um, not just uh, Caleb Landry Johnson's mother, but uh, the father character and several other side characters. Very, very well written, um, well established from an early point, and then that sort of drives a lot of the tension. Um, it's 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 very sad to watch a movie like this, knowing exactly how it ends. Um, this was one where. After it ended, um, the credits roll over no music, um, just sort of a very distant crashing of waves, um, and I just sat through the whole credits and sat still silent for probably another 10 to 15 minutes after that, just trying to come to terms with what I had experienced, and to try to move on after that, to, you know, stand up, check my phone, go to the bathroom, get, it, it felt, 
I don't know. It it felt wrong. It felt wrong almost to do those normal things because how do you move on from something that something this this profound? Um, you know, it's uh, it's an experience unlike any other film I've seen. Um, this film I think is not going to leave me anytime soon. It's very very important um, and just phenomenally well made. Um, yeah, gonna stick with me for. A very very long time, I believe. Great, yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. Uh, it is All on right. AMC My- Plus. I should say AMC Plus. Okay, nice, good wreck. Um, all right, moving into my number two, getting down to the nitty gritty, the film that's already been talked about by Mr. Floyd. It is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. It is The Lost Daughter, a film that's- which took my breath away from the moment I saw it and then I rewatched it and I knew it had to be cemented in the number two slot. Floyd, you mentioned how you appreciated that this was made into a two hour film and not condensed into an 80, you know, an 80 minute movie or so. Um, Even more than that, I'm glad that this is a film and not a six part HBO miniseries because I feel like that is often the tendency with these sort of stories these days. But I am so glad that Maggie Gyllenhaal respected the Elena Ferrante novel's form and turned this into a beautiful, a beautiful movie. Um, and I think it, I think it's difficult. Difficult. I think even without knowing that this was adapted from a novel, I think it's very easy to tell that it is just in, in, in the way that the characters are written and in the ambiguity and in their interactions and what is left unsaid between it. And the way uh, the way the flashbacks interact with the main plot line, and I think that's a difficult thing to do often with adaptation. But I think she does it expertly. Um, Jesse Buckley, oh my God, I mean, just absolutely brilliant. Just just a great actress. I'm so excited for Garland's Men. I can't wait to see her in yes. that. Um, I I think it, it kind of it, like come on, come on. It it approaches that angle of you know parenthood is hard, and oftentimes you get annoyed with the kid this takes an even harder approach you know oftentimes you hate your children and like olivia coleman says i'm an unnatural mother um and i think that some of those harrowing scenes i saw this year more than any other horror movie are watching jesse buckley trying to get control of her children in that room um trying to dealing with her husband dealing with the different uh pushes and pulls she feels in her professional life and then with I think is a brilliant Peter Sarsgaard moment in this movie when he comes in as this charismatic philosophizing academic I also think it's so funny that Sarsgaard who is married to Gyllenhaal in real life I just think it's funny she featured him in the film in this <laughs> this way um uh, I, I I just think this is uh I, I think what is left unsaid in this movie and and, and what is what is what is explored through symbol and not through dialogue is, is, is wonderful. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman as, as the mother and, and watching her in her conversations with Paul Mescal, but also with, with Ed Harris. Hello, Ed Harris, just still giving great performances in his old age. I love it. Um, watching in their conversations, how she crosses lines and then retreats a bit and then divulges too much about her past and makes characters uncomfortable but then also pulls them in a bit and then diminishes herself in order to appeal to other people. I, I just think it's, for one, it's just really interesting just 
look at, at, at this character, at, at this woman. Um, and then Dakota Johnson being this, this sort of younger foil um, to, to Coleman's character and incorporating these, you know, it almost feels like it's going to head in some sort of, and it does kind of head in this sort of crime, you know, is this family a part of the, of a mob, a mafia? Like what is going on here? Is there some larger scheme going on? I love how these elements are hinted at, but, uh, never fully divulged. Um, uh, I, I, I thought the sound design, like the other films we've talked about this year, was, it was really incredible. The score was great, but then uh, just the way that it, it would incorporate and weave the flashbacks into the present is, um, and, and Jesse Buckley's voice playing over top of scenes of Olivia Coleman. Um, and I think the, the ambiguous note that it ends on is, is, is perfect, and I think you can interpret it a bunch of different ways, but I understand, Logan, your critiques with it, because I felt that way about a lot of films like this, where I just, I just, I'm not locked in, but the acting was so good enough that I was locked into every single subtle fatal facial expression, every single, you know, shift in, in tone, in, in the lines of dialogue, and yeah, feel it like a snake, don't let it break, yes. haunting. So the lost daughter, my number two. I'd like. I'm very glad that worked so well for you. Um, and I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna keep it positive. So I'll say that I want to shout out my favorite part uh, in the movie, and it's the part where uh, she tells the teenagers that she's gonna cut off their dicks and feed them to them like peanuts. Oh yeah. Classic. <laughs> what a what a line. What a classic really that one is. Um, yeah, I love the lost daughter uh, as well as it was number my number nineteen film of the year. Um, coming in at number two for me, uh, like I said, was my number one when I saw it and was my number one for a little bit. Um, and I was also lucky enough to see this in a theater, although it was released on Netflix and it is Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. Should have won Best Picture. Absolutely love, love, love this film. Another, another person I would have been very happy to see Best Actor, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in this film, who has had an amazing couple of years uh, of projects being released. Um, you know, everyone's talking about him as we speak this weekend because of Doctor Strange 2, which he's pretty good in. Um, but I think this, The Courier, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, uh, has been showing a lot of range um, from him recently. And I didn't really know that Cumberbatch had this in him. He plays such an asshole, such a uh, menacing scary person but also what i think is so good about his performance but also the film overall is that it campion and cumberbatch don't let him just be that they get into the psychology of the character and how really he is performing masculinity and that he is not really the person that he portrays to everyone else in the film and i think that is really where the power of the dog comes from <laughs> that i think that this film works so well because of the moments that campion lets cumberbatch just ever so slightly let that come to the surface and then pushes it back down and you see that in his performance i, I think that the and, film in a lot of ways really pities the character it it um mm -hmm. like beneath all of his beneath all of his uh posturing like the i think a lot of the story is look at this sad man who is clinging to bygone ideals that just are not relevant anymore just... yeah 
and I, I totally agree. I think I think the movie does pity him, and I think at some point, especially near the end of the film, it shows you that like he was groomed into being like this. Like the toxic masculinity was taught to him, it was not natural. And I think that that is the main thing I think that um, Campion was trying to get at in telling the story. I, it feels to me that this is a story about how masculinity is taught and how damaging that is for the entire world and sp through the microcosm of these characters that this is something that is passed on generation to generation. And that this is not the only form, first of all, of masculinity. Um, there is positive masculinity in this film. And then there is also... I, I want to be careful about how I describe this in case some people haven't seen it yet. There is a character that you wouldn't think is the most powerful character in the film. But they definitely are by the end of it. Um, and I think that is another tightrope that she walks super well throughout this film like you said jesse plemons fantastic cody smith mcphee i i like cody smith mcphee before this and i was blown away i did not know he had this in him either uh kristen dunst was really good um unfortunately she does kind of get like pushed to the side uh by the end of the film uh, and most of her performance is honestly just being drunk uh by the end of it um but she's very good and then um yeah, even, like, Thomas and Mackenzie randomly being uh, a side character, which was Fantastic. weird, because she, I, yeah, she was great. Um, but, yeah, the, the cinematography is beautiful in this, 100% deserved this nomination. Uh, this, these New Zealand vistas where they shot in, uh, placed it in Montana then, you believe that they're the same place, first of all. They're, they're gorgeous, these mountain ranges are beautiful out on this countryside, but then also there's moments where they're in like this like wheat field uh phil and um peter are in this wheat field just kind of sitting and talking and it feels just like a natural environment um yeah i think this is a, a really really well written thriller um and i think i think it should have won best picture i i absolutely love the power of the dog i i, I saw it once in theaters i loved it i watched it again around new year's and it cemented itself as a easy five star A plus movie for me. I absolutely love the power of the dog, so that's my number two. Yeah, great film was my number six, so I I love it too. Ah, uh, wow, we've we've arrived, gentlemen. Number one, number one. Um, this podcast, in, in dear listener, in case you haven't noticed, uh, is one where we just fully indulge ourselves in talking for as long as we want about movies we like and uh not really you know filtering it that much for uh for easy consumption um but this is um i think i'll just i think i'll just talk for a little while about this because i like talking about it um i have a rule i have a rule i never give out five star ratings on the first viewing i don't i don't put out on the first viewing however i broke that rule for this movie after seeing it in theaters if you know me at all this is not a surprise it is denny villeneuve's masterpiece dune 
the brilliant adaptation of Frank Herbert's 1965 novel. Um, probably considered the greatest sci-fi novel of all time. Potentially Isaac Asimov gets thrown in the mix there. Um, I believe that this is a perfectly made adaptation, a perfectly made film. Um, I had no doubt that uh, Denny coming in hot, coming in hot from Blade Runner 2049 could completely handle it. Um, just give the fans an amazing experience while also just crafting an excellent film. Um, it really shows that Denny loves the book. He is, he is a huge fan of the book and always has been. And, um, saw a very clear vision when he read it, um, of what the film should look like, what the film should be like. Um, and I think, I think that's amazing. I, I, I could tell, I could tell when I was watching it that this was crafted by somebody with the level of care that, that it deserves to be made with. Um, I, it, it sucks to see a movie where the person making it doesn't care as much about the product as you do. You know, a, a very, a very personal, um, comic book, uh, character is being, is being put to the screen. It sucks when it's just like a studio and a generic action director just trying to get a paycheck, uh, to see Dune put to the screen by somebody who loves it so much is an insane experience. Um, and I do, I feel that the previous films he's done, he's done as good as they were, were sort of leading to this. It feels like he was figuring out, he, he was getting the skills he needed in different places to make Dune. Um, and I love that it was just such a labor of love for him. Um, so much respect for the source. The casting all around, I should say. I think is also perfect. Um, I had my doubts about Timothy Chalamet. He totally proved me wrong. Um, he brings a depth to Paul Atreides that I think, if not readily apparent in Dune Part One, which is the official title of this film, um, will become apparent. He he his character will get a, a big chance to grow in unexpected ways. Um, the whole Atreides team. Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Stephen McKinley Henderson, um, Oscar Isaac, even they work so well together, their chemistry and, um, amongst themselves and their chemistry with Paul is just fantastic. Um, I, I think the novel is for as great as it is, it sometimes feels very cold. Um, and I'm, I think that you know, I think I think adding a lot of like MCU style quip humor would really it would take away from from what the film and the book are tonally. But I think they add warmth to these characters that I didn't necessarily pick up on while reading the book as much as I loved it. Um, that is especially true of Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. She she adds a level of depth that. I didn't really feel was there. Um, I always, I never fully understood the character until I saw her performance of it. Um, and I think it's fantastic. The, the, um, the sort of push and pull that she feels 
with her allegiance to her family, her allegiance to uh, the Bene Gesserit is just, it's, it's fantastically complex. Um, something, something about the book, which is, you know, partially true of the way that Frank Herbert writes, just sort of inherent in that, but also partially, you know, there are plot reasons for it, but this is in the far, set in the far, far future, um, 20,000 years in the future, I believe. Um, and, uh, Frank Herbert, so all, all of these characters sort of have heightened senses. Um, they can, and, and that means that they can pick up on, um, very small things. They can perceive very, very small details. Um, and that includes, you know, inflection in people's voices. Um, it includes sort of seeing how things will unfold. Um, there's sort of an element of, of prescience in the books that not like you can see the future, but it's explained more in a way that you can see the chain of events that will lead to what's in the future. So, you know, I know that if I, if I drop something, it's going to hit the ground and maybe break. They, what, what, what these characters can do is they can see, you know, if I say this to you now, it will make you think that in the future will make me be able to achieve that in the future. There, there are layers upon layers, uh, plans within plans, um, in, in this book, in the, in the book and in, in the film, every scene in the film, there are so many different nuanced, um, uh, you know, goals that every character has, you know, a, a good dramatic scene between two characters, um, comes when, you know, both of their, um, both of their motivations, um, and both of their ultimate desires and how can they, how can they get that? And, and Dune is just the epitome of that. Um, it, it expresses all of that so well. Um, it, uh, that those sort of, you know, seeing the future kinds of things are very well expressed through montage. Um, and the, the, the whole film, I think, just looks flawless. The cinematography is fucking great. There are, there are shots in here that just, like every other shot when I'm watching the movie, my jaw just drops. Um, I'm so happy to see it. I, I, I truly believe this will be studied for generations, um, generations and generations are going to look at this about, and, and think of, you know, to learn how to make just a, a great film, a perfectly made film. Um, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about the special effects. Um, the lengths they went to are, are very impressive. And I think the best thing about the CG work, which I think a, a anyone could agree on, is that it doesn't look like CG. Um, we could believe that the ornithopters exist in real life. Um, it's a bit, we were talking off mic about Avatar. That style of CG where it was so groundbreaking was you're meant to look at it and go, oh, wow, that looks great. It looks so real. This, this, these special effects are understated in that way. It doesn't, you know, beg you to look at it and say, hey, they made that you know, they made the worm look great. It's just, it's a matter of fact. It tells the story. It's a piece, every, every, you know, meticulous piece of, of, um, computer generated content here serves the story so well. 
Um, and I think that's maybe something that a lot of people miss if they go into it and they're like, yay, big worm movie with Zendaya. They're going to be disappointed on a couple levels. Um, but it just, it's, um, they went to some really incredible lengths um, to make this look as good as it does. Instead of green, uh, green screens or blue screens on set when they needed to use them, they used uh, tan backdrops so that the, the, the light that it's reflecting onto the characters is the same as, you know, would be reflected onto them in a desert. Um, sometimes when you... Sometimes in, in certain movies, you know, certain Spider-Man might look like they're being lit by something that's not there. Um, and this just... Uh, God, it's, it's visually outstanding. Um, can't say enough about that. Uh, and of course... I can't not talk about the score. The score, God, it's it's certainly the best of the year. Absolutely deserved its win. It has become one of my favorites ever. Um, very inventive. Um, uses a lot of experimental sounds. Almost an entirely new um, sound palette. Uses it uses obscure um, instruments from you know from from elsewhere in the world, and also just like. Hans just Hans Zimmer just kind of created some new instruments just for the hell of it and created new sounds, um, new styles of singing. The female voice is um, a major component of this and just sort of decided to um, just just making new sounds um, that that put you in um, the the landscape of Arrakis. Um, very harsh, very beautiful in a strange way landscape. Um, and when I listen to that, I'm, I'm right back in there. Um, and also just harmonically, there's really great stuff happening. Um, the Harkonnen theme happens in an octatonic scale, which is very cool to hear. It's very off-putting and sinister. Um, there's a lot of information, uh, just communicated through, through the music. I think, you know, there are scenes when there are scenes where the Fremen are talking about their sort of prophecies, their their Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, and um, the uh, you know under all of that, the Bene Gesserit, uh, you know themes or motifs are playing, and that it it serves, it gives you information that the Bene Gesserit, you know it's it's mentioned, but not super gone into in this movie, that the Bene Gesserit have been basically sowing the seeds to to. Uh, uh, make this population think that you know one of theirs is going to be their messiah. It's just a, a way for them to gain power. Um, so their hidden influence is so present. Um, and also, I guess in the music, um, you know, House Atreides being coded as kind of European, I guess particularly Scottish by the bagpipes. Um, it's just it's it's all incredible. Um, it's it's big, you know, it's got the, it's got the, um, the classic Hans Zimmer sound that everyone always associates with them. Um, but also there's some, you know, there's, there's some more subdued stuff. Um, some really great kind of quiet, quieter moments in the score really build tension. Um, it's an amazing thing. Like, like when you listen to it, it takes you to other worlds. Um, and I just, it's only it's only half the book, which I think is is very exciting to me. Um, it's the right call. There's so much about the book. 
and this is also this is potentially I think the most divisive thing about the film among the people that I've talked to I think it's a great call um, but a lot of people that I talk to that haven't read the book think it feels a little incomplete because um, it is uh, I t- I, which I, and I totally understand that like I would never fault anyone for feeling sort of unsatisfied at the end of this but I think knowing where the book goes I think it's the perfect decision when I was reading this book and I knew that it was going to be made into two parts I imagined that it would be best to chop the movie in half literally exactly where it did it I was like this is this makes narrative sense you should you should do it here and then they did and it was it it was watching this movie was an out-of-body experience it was everything that I imagined. It was exactly what I had imagined as the ideal, except for in the ways that it was better. Um, it's This is tailor-made for me. Uh, I, I, I could not physically believe what I was seeing. There were times I just cried out of pure joy that this was happening before my eyes. Um, I am in awe of the fact that you know, I, I feel lucky that I get to exist and be conscious at the same time that this film exists. Um, the time that Denny Villeneuve just decided to put everything he has into crafting the perfect adaptation of the greatest sci-fi novel. I, I am not, I'm, I, I could say I feel like so much more. I could talk about Dune for hours. I hope we do some full podcasts, um, and just I get to dump every single one of my thoughts about this movie and rave about how every element of it is perfect. Um, But for now, I will let the ranking speak for itself. My number one film of 2021, an instant five-star, is Dune Part 1. And I'm endlessly excited for Part 2 and if he decides to make Messiah and any any other Dune series books. I'm just wildly excited for the future. Gushing and exuberant praise yes. for for Dune. Uh, I'm happy to hear that you had such a good time with it. All right, uh, we'll hop on over to my number one of 2021. Uh, I'll keep it brief. It's West Side Story. Oh, there is no other film this year that comes close, that comes anywhere close to the kind of filmmaking on display on West Side Story. I think people are just I. As soon as I saw this movie, every single person I was talking to, I was like, I was trying to convince, I was like, have you, please, I'm imploring you, you must watch this film. I don't think people understand that the level of filmmaking that is on display in this movie is like, it's just, it, it is not a common thing. You do not see this commonly. Like, this is... Spielberg is a once in a generation talent, and I am so happy that he uh, took his took his camera to West Side Story. Like Floyd, I was very hesitant about this adaptation. Why do we need it? I thought, why do we need stodgy Mr. Spielberg, the post and bridge of spies man? You know, I like both of those movies, but do they have the energy? Do they have the exuberance that West Side Story requires and needs? Answer: Yes, it does. Um, he knocked this out of the ballpark. 
the dance sequences in the gym is truly one of the greatest things I've ever seen on screen. It is mind-blowing camera movement. The editing is just absolutely incredible. Uh, the meaning that he's able to assemble out of the different cuts between scenes is mind-blowing. It, it opened up parts of the play, uh, the musical, that I hadn't really considered before. It's slight changes, right? Maybe think about Chino in a whole different light. I think he really opened up that character. The relationship between Tony and Riff... Um, adding that aspect to Tony's character, him used to having been in prison for a period of time was incredible. Ariana DeBose, um, a boy like that, that is my favorite scene of the year by far. Uh, like Logan said, that's a hard thing to pull off. That uh, the the shift in perspective or the the tonal shift that occurs between her and Maria towards the end of that song. Um, but I think they pull it off incredibly well, and uh, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't praise this movie more. I saw it four times in theaters. I would see it two more times if I could. It was the one of the greatest theater experiences of my entire life. West Side Story. It's the best, without a doubt. That is yeah. that is the uh, third one to make all three of our lists. Yep, that's that was the one that I was like, this is going to be Matt's either one, two, or three. And I had no idea. It'll be sneak into all of ours. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, so it's just me. My number one Bring is us the home. last thing we're talking about. Bring us home. Uh, a film that... I, I know that uh, both of my uh, top two films are ones that Matt was not a huge fan of. Um, but, uh, yeah, my number one actually is my... All three of my top three are Netflix films. Uh, my number one is Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, and after it overtook Power of the Dog, like in January as my favorite of the year, it, it has even grown more solidified. I, I am very sure of Tick, Tick, Boom being my number one film of the year. Um, I saw this, yeah, like I said, I saw this film for the first time in November, like right when it came out on Netflix, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, and then it was another film like Pig and like Inside that I just kept thinking about and kept wanting to rewatch, and then I did rewatch it again, and then I watched it again, and then I listened to the soundtrack about a thousand times. Um like Logan, I was not looking forward to this movie, and I almost begrudgingly watched it opening weekend on Netflix, and I was like, eh, okay, how good is this really going to be? I'm going to laugh at actually how amateurish Lin-Manuel Miranda's movie is going to be, and I was fucking wrong. Andrew Garfield, man. Andrew Garfield is probably the reason that this film works so fucking well. Uh, you can tell watching it, like Logan said, that Lynn is a first-time director. This this is not a perfect movie in terms of quality. Um, there are rough spots. Um, some of the CG is not great. I don't blame that totally on Lynn or the film because a lot of this was shot during the pandemic and how much can you do, um, with limited resources, um, but also I think my biggest negative, and it's not her fault, it's it's a weaker character, and she doesn't really get to do much, and that is uh, Alexandra Shipp's character. Um, I think that she Susan doesn't really have much to do. I wish that they could have written her a little better. Um, but she's, I mean, she's great singing Come to Your Senses. Their fight scene is very good. Um, I just think that that is probably the, the weakest of the, of the leads for me. I love, 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 love Robin DeJesus in this movie. He is so good as Michael. Um, and yeah, there, there's just, I think this is another film like Bo Burnham inside that had a lot 
to do with how I was feeling at the time when I saw it and then earlier this year and even still to this day um, as somebody who graduated college less than a week ago having this be a film not about graduating college but about turning 30 and feeling like what do you have to show for yourself at this big life milestone and I feel like I, I related to this character a lot and the music is fantastic um, 3090 come to your senses um, Johnny can't decide uh, and then of course louder than words and I feel like I'm probably forgetting a few why? others that I love uh, why is great um, therapy ther- therapy is probably the big one that and I amazingly why? I don't too. yes therapy therapy would be also in my uh, best scenes of yeah. the year uh, I think that is probably why Tick, Tick, Boom got an editing nomination because that scene was just so frenetic and that's a, you know, that's a hard tightrope to walk when you are cutting between those two scenes so energetically, you have to shoot that in a way that it's going to cut together and then you had to edit it in that fashion to the song and it was so good. Um, I also love the editing in No More, you know, that's such a, another frenetic song that's so great. Um, and I really love the way Lynn moves the camera around on the stage. When you when you go back and think about, like, oh, how do you do Tick, Tick, Boom as a movie? I think they adapted it super well because, I mean, it's just a three people on a stage. Like, how do you make that into a movie to then have that, have the camera moving on the stage, make that feel dynamic, and then at the same time, you know, show the story as it's happening, I think was a really, really good um, structural uh, decision by... Um, by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and yeah, like, I I can't say enough how, how fucking great Andrew Garfield is in this movie. Like you said, he took the role not knowing how to sing, and it delivered a knockout vocal performance. Like, so, so fucking good. Um, yeah, like I said, this, this movie means a lot to me um, because of the themes that it deals with, and and, and the way Jonathan Larson reflects things in my life that I think um, really hit me. But then also, um, I, I mainly blame this film for uh, being the reason that I wrote a musical as my senior film that I made with Logan. Um, it is it is distinctly Tick, Tick, Boom, Jonathan Larson, and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's fault that, the, that that's our film. Um but yeah so i love this movie it means a lot to me i i am sure that in my 2022 wrapped andrew garfield will be in my top three <laughs> artists because i've listened to the so soundtrack strange. so much so yep uh so uh tick tick boom is my number one of the year and it's not even really that close there we go there we have it so two musicals wow. as our number one yeah crazy that's uh that's fun so um yeah, guys, I think let's just run back down our each of our top tens as a summary, um, and then we'll have our final words, and we'll get on out of here. Yeah, going from 20 to 1, I had West Side Story, Shiva Baby, Fear Street 1666, Army of Thieves, Pig, The Last Duel, The Harder They Fall, Come From Away, The Beatles Get Back, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Cracking the Top Ten, The Father, Belfast, sorry, Cracking the Top Ten is not the name of one of my movies. I was saying... We're starting the top ten. Now. Going into the top ten. Said it with the exact same inflection as the rest of the movies, so thought I'd clear it up. The Father, Belfast, Come On, Come On, A Hero, The Power of the Dog, 
Tick Tick Boom, Coda, Swan Song, Nitram, and Dune Part 1. Starting from number 20, The Night House, Test Pattern, The Green Knight, Summer of Soul, Zeros and Ones, Pig, Drive My Car, Saint Maud, Nightmare Alley, The Velvet Underground, and then into the top 10, The Humans, Come On, Come On, Bergman Island, In the Earth, The French Dispatch, No Sudden Move, The Card Counter, Old, The Lost Daughter, and at number one, West Side Story. And for me, 20 to 1, Belfast, The Lost Daughter, The Card Counter, Mass, The Tragedy of Macbeth, The Killing of Two Lovers, The Green Knight, Shiva Baby, Nightmare Alley, Red Rocket, and now into my top 10, The Matrix Resurrections, Drive My Car, Come On, Come On, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Last Duel, Pig, West Side Story, Bo Burnham Inside, The Power of the Dog, and my number one is Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, so, another year in the books. I'm looking forward to uh, a, an ever-growing 2022 watch list um, with films that are already out, and I'm sure many, many more to come. Uh, we have been getting some great trailers recently. Nope, Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, lots of movies that I'm very excited for uh, this year um, still to come, and things i haven't seen yet like everything everywhere all at once Ugh. and the northman and such um so yeah i think real quick to wrap us up guys uh this was a weird year in film i think even beyond 2020 because you know 2020 was a disruption obviously of the pandemic but then 2021 was this weird year where we were in the full lockdown for i think still about five to eight months depending on you know your comfortability last summer and then by no way home you know that movie made 1.9 billion dollars and is one of the most 10 successful films of all time so i think going from january to december was a huge change in the movie industry you know all of the hbo max movies um you know a, a few that came up on our list specifically you know on my top 10 matrix resurrections and your number one uh day and date yep. dune um so yeah and now we are we are back into i feel like what i never thought we would be back into which is majority uh theater uh you still have your streaming not as many day and date releases anymore there are some but it's kind of gone away very quickly um so i think 2021 was a very unique year for movies so i just wanted to hear if you if you guys had any specific takes on the year in general of 2021. Yeah, I mean, 2020, as as hard as everything was with being being thrown into something we were very unprepared for, um, I think it made watching movies a lot easier. It made them so much more accessible, everything on streaming platforms. Um, and you had weird exceptions like Tenet because Chris Nolan didn't want to do a home release for some reason. And um, I don't know, it's... Uh, 2021 there there's good and bad in in getting back to normal um you know i've enjoyed the theater experiences i've had but i still you know i think i I, i'd like to stream most things um so a lot of these films i i watched later on um because i just wasn't i wasn't going to the theater as much um but you know i think it's still there's still there's a lot to watch um and i think this was a very very good year in film um 
I love my top 20 so much. I could have, I could have talked about, you know, the, the next 10 on the list and, and been very happy to, uh, but that would not have been a top 20 anymore. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I do think, I think it was a very good year for film. Um, and I guess, you know, this is an, it's an ever shifting industry landscape. So we'll see what happens. It is ever shifting. Um, and I, I'm sure this is not the last we'll see of, um, day and day releases and whatnot, but yeah, you know, although it was a little bit more sour on this year in movies, um, I'm very pleased with my top 20 specifically, like my top five and top 10, some great movies in there. And, uh, you know, I was worried I wasn't going to be able to find the one, you know, there's always the one that I watch every year. As soon as I see it, I know. And that was West Side Story. So I'm glad I could find it. Took a bit, but we got there. Yeah, that was December. You were. Yeah, and I was getting nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that was uh, that was me seeing Power of the Dog and Tick Tick Boom like in succession. I was like, okay, all right, we're good, we're fine. And West Side Story because West Side Story was in my top five as well. Uh, all there in December, late November. Um, but yeah, I I thought this was a great year for film. And again, there there's stuff that I missed that I'm sure could have made my top twenty. Again, specifically Parallel Mothers, Worst Person in the World, and Flea. I'm sure one or one or all three would have made my top 20 yeah my list is gonna keep Um, changing as i as i keep seeing more things yeah um and then yeah next year i or this year our next next year when we do the list for this year uh i'm very excited to see what that turns out to be because again um we were talking about since i think back in our 2019 episode be like oh we're so looking forward to dune and i like dune uh, I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I liked it much more on repeat watching, but that wasn't even really that close to my top 20. So, like, it's the um, the movies you are looking forward to the most are not always the ones that m- even crack your top yeah. 20. So, you know, I am super looking forward to Nope. That's probably my most anticipated rest of the year. Who knows if it'll even make my top 20. Uh, that's, you know, that's what actually making and watching the movies is, you know. You anticipate it, and then you actually see the finished product, and then you make your decision. So, yeah. Yeah, a so, lot yeah. of surprises overall. Uh, things that made my list I didn't sp- expect to going in. Things I thought would and, you know, were di- disappointed by. Um, and you guys, too. It was it was great just going through and being... I, I, I love that we sort of keep these lists secret from each other. You know, we know a little bit what people like, but I, I really liked not knowing what was coming next. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so as always, gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this episode. This is my favorite one to do every year um of course and we will be back hopefully maybe in january to march (laughs) next year instead of may but who knows um but we will continue to do this no matter what so thank you so much for listening everybody thank you gentlemen for being on the podcast with me uh i'm ryan i'm matthew i'm logan we'll talk to you guys next time see ya see ya